How are we doing? Good? Good? Everybody in the back, y'all good? See right there? Yeah? Yeah? The back. <laughs> Somebody is. Awesome. Yeah. All right, well, hey, I'm Jono. I'm the family pastor here, and it is good to be with you guys this morning. We are in the middle of a series called Brave. We are going through the book of Esther, so I'm going to take you through a few chapters of Esther, so we'll get going. Let me, let me tell you real quick, though. I, the other night, I've, we got, we've got five kids, my wife and I, a few too many, but we've got five kids, and uh, my wife was out of town with one of my daughters and my oldest son. He was working, and so I took the other three, and, and we're eating. We go, out to, we go out to eat dinner because when you have five kids, the only time you go out to eat is when a few of them are gone. Yeah, y'all all five, sorry, you're never eating in a restaurant together at the same time. But we got rid of a few, and so I'm out with the three, uh, with three of them, and we're just eating our food, and my youngest, Lincoln, who is five years old, just turned five, and he's kind of a, he's kind of a fireball. In fact, he's the reason that we, we um, have trouble getting volunteers uh, in, in the preschool class, and... Um, so he's sitting there eating, and he just kind of gets in his own world a lot, and he's sitting there, and I could tell he's thinking, but we're just eating our food. And he starts kind of singing, but the words to the song are, I can't believe my dad didn't sign up for anything. I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Your dad didn't sign up for anything. He goes, well, you know, like a job, like Sawyer works at Chick-fil-A, and then Uncle Scott, he's a policeman, and then there's law doctors, and so you didn't sign up for anything. So what, what, what he had been thinking was, my dad's a loser, I guess, and like, has no mission in life, has no job. Like, what are you doing with yourself? And so I asked him, I'm like, well, what do you think I do exactly? And he said, well, I don't know. I just figure you've always been the future pastor at Journey. I was like, future pastor? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, you're the future pastor. That's what they call you, the future pastor. I'm like, no, it's the family pastor. So he thinks I don't, I'm not doing anything with my life except being a future pastor. Maybe like one day I'll, I will be a real pastor or something. But actually, it turns out this is what I do. I, I work with teenagers and kids, and um, God called me to ministry. And in my senior year of high school is when I felt like God was calling me to do this, and that was like 1998, and so I've been doing it ever since, and, and it was kind of a weird thing for me, and, and it was hard. It was, there was a lot of well-meaning people thinking that, like, hey, what are you doing? You sure you want to do that? Pastors don't really, especially youth pastors, don't make a whole lot of money, and, you know, and, and they're right, and so you, you, you kind of end up a lot of times, and what we're going to talk about today and what we've been talking about throughout this series is that a lot of times when you end up going God's way, when you end up following Jesus, when you end up doing what you feel like that God wants you to do, <clears throat> a lot of times it's not going to make sense to anyone. A lot of times it's going to be counterintuitive. A lot of times your five-year-old are going to think that you're wasting your life, and it, but you just have to do what God is pushing you to do, even if, if people don't get it. And so I, th there's going to be things, there's going to be times, in, in fact, there's gonna be, it's going to happen quite often if you get serious about following God, that, that we're going to always have the option of, of going the world's way 
are going God's way. And, and so with every decision I make, I'm going to have the opportunity to kind of just do my own thing, to just go the world's way, to do what, you know, follow my heart, whatever. And, or I can go God's way. And whether you're a teenager or a kid or a, a, an adult, like you're, you're having those decisions. That fork in the road is always there. And I can't just hang out in the middle. And so let me catch you up. So let, let's move on. Let, let me catch you up with where we've been with the book of Esther and, and her story. So go ahead and turn there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, talk through it a little bit. And we'll, we'll pull some things out of there. So find the book of Esther. If you go to the book of Psalms, uh, it's kind of a big book in the middle. You can go back one. You got Job. And then go back one more. And you are at Esther. So let me know when you get there, because I don't want to be rude and talk over you. So. so go ahead, let me know. Okay, okay. All right, good, good, good. Everybody awake? Fabulous. All right, glad you guys are there. Let's get rolling. If you're still looking, it's okay. Um, so there's a Jewish guy named Mordecai, okay? And Mordecai is in Babylonian exile. He's been kicked out of his country, so he's living somewhere else. Life is not great. He had a younger cousin named Esther, and she was apparently quite attractive uh, because she ends up becoming king. Uh, queen. No, she did not become king. She is beautiful. In fact, Mordecai had adopted her. Both of her parents died. She was actually his cousin. He adopts her, so now Mordecai is Esther's dad. Esther's beautiful. Uh, King Xerxes, his, his queen, good grief, I cannot get gender-specific royalty correct today. Sorry, bear with me. I'm sure you struggle with that, too. Um, so she grows up to be beautiful, Xerxes takes her as her takes her as his queen. Good grief! And um, life is good. She settled into this role. She's got a pretty you know cush job as queen. Then you've got this guy named Haman, and we've talked about him. Haman is one of the chief princes. Not a good guy. Not a fan of the Jews. In fact, he despises them so much, and, and especially Mordecai. He he despises them so much that he convinces the king to extinguish them, to let's, let's get rid of all of the Jews. Let's, let's kill them. And so the king actually agrees to this, but he does it without realizing that Esther, his beautiful queen that he loves, is actually a Jew, and that for him to keep his word, she would have to be part of the whole wiping out of, of the Jews. Okay, And so she struggles here for a little bit, because Mordecai, he's like in, in mourning. He's, when he finds out that the Jews are going to be wiped out, he's, he's freaking out. She's trying to be like, hey, could you just chill out? Could you hush? Could you calm down? A little bit less drama here. And he's like, nope, nope. You know what? I'm, I'm letting everybody know that I am upset. And so all the Jews are upset. And so finally, she, she comes to terms with this. And, and, and she's struggling because, I mean, she's going to have to make a choice to um, risk Losing everything, risk having her head chopped off, and, and I'll explain that in just a second. But she kind of, you know, we like to think of her as, as this hero, and, and later on she does become a hero. But in the beginning she was struggling 
with her bravery, and, and she kind of runs parallel in some ways to Daniel. We read about Daniel, who really committed his way to the Lord, and when he was faced with following God or following man, or obeying man or obeying God, he chose God and is thrown in the lion's den. But uh, Esther wasn't quite that way in the beginning. She, she struggled a little bit, and she really was kind of, kind of a hot mess. I mean, she had done some things. There were some things that were shameful about her past, even when you look at how she became queen and how she was kind of tested out to see if she would be a good queen. You know, it's, it's, she spent the night with a pagan king who was not her husband. And so there's some things that, that just were not good about her story and were imperfect about her story. But we see that God uses messy people, which is really good news for us messy people. Maybe you're not a messy person. Maybe you are extremely holy. You like floated to your seat this morning, and it was just, it was just great. You were just so holy. Um, and if you would, if that's you, you know, just pray for the rest of us because we're like, like I mess up. I'm a messy person. I, I'm impatient. I can be rude. I've got a smart mouth, and I, I've got all, you know, this, I got issues. But God still uses me. And so Mordecai comes to Esther and says, hey, look, you're the only one who can fix this. you you got to help us out here. And don't think, and we talked about this last week, don't think that just because you're the queen that when the, the fire really rages against all the Jews that you're going to be safe. They're going to come after you too. So don't, don't think that you're covered. Don't think that you're safe. And, and he says, in fact, it may just be that you are right here for such a time as this, that God has put you right here to use you to fix all of this. And so Esther is faced with the decision, is she going to go approach the king? Because you don't just go approach the king. You don't just go say, hey, king, can I talk to you for a second? That's how you get yourself killed, okay? And so the king hasn't called for her. It's been a while, and so she's not sure what to do. And um, she finally decides, you know what? I got to do this. This is right. And so she has to go against common sense because common sense would tell you, you don't go disrupt the king because that, again, is how you get yourself killed. But for the sake of her people, for the sake of what's right, she decides, hey, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And there comes a point where we can't just kind of sit on the fence and just dabble in the things of God. There is, uh, th there is something about the way of getting to know God, and as I get to know Him, and as I begin to deepen my relationship with Him, when I study His Word, when I fall deeper in love with Him, and I get closer to Him, and <clears throat> when I really start to enjoy Him, I really start to enjoy my relationship with Him, when, when I'm there, and when I'm in that place, and when I'm growing in that place, I, I start to learn more about the heart of God and the things that are important to Him. And I start to see those things, and those things that, that really burn strong within the heart of God begin to burn strong in my heart. And, I, and I'm, I have got to decide if I'm going to be about those things. Am I going to be serious about the things that God cares about? Last week was Orphan Sunday. We talked about foster care and adoption, and that is close to the heart of God. And so we've got to decide, what, what are we going to do about that? God loves justice. God loves righteousness. God loves generosity. Am I going to be generous with my money? Am I going to give it even when it hurts, or am I going to keep it 
all to myself and, and just dream about what I can buy myself. And we could go on and on and on down the list. But my prayer is that I would become burdened about something so much that I can't help but do something about it and believe that God has placed me there to do something about it. Sometimes his plan is going to make perfect sense, but other times it's not going to make sense to pursue that, that thing. Sometimes it's not going to make sense to give that money away because you need it to pay for this. Sometimes it's not going to make sense to bring someone else in your home. But it, 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 sometimes I just have to go against what the world would say is common sense sense because just because something is difficult or uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's not from God. Just because something, just because the door shuts, I mean, we like to say with our little Instagram quotes that just because one door shuts, you know, when, when God shuts a door, he opens one. And yes, yeah, sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. It may be that he wants you to like kick through the door. It may be that you need to kick the door in. And so Mordecai looks at, at, at Esther and says, look, it's, it's time to kick the door in, man. It's time to go. The time is now. Like, you want, you want to follow God. The time for following God's plan is right now. If you're taking notes, I would go ahead and write that down. That the time for God, following God's plan is right now. Like, that, that it is time for us to get serious about our relationship with God, to follow him, to figure out what it is. Where, what does he want me to pursue? What does he want me to be passionate about? <clears throat> How is it that he wants me to live? What does he want me to be committed to? And so that brings us to chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 3, okay? Esther chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. It says, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner courts of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. And held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of his scepter. And then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it'll be given to you. So whatever you want, I'll give it to you. So she's, she's jumped the hurdle of getting her head cut off. Okay, she's made it past that. But now she's standing out there. The king sees her. She's apparently looking, you know, really fine in her royal robes, whatever that looked like. But she is looking good. And so the king says, hey, you know, come on. You, we, we can talk. You look so good. You, and I don't know that it was all based on her looks. I'm just a shallow male. But <laughs> we, I don't, we don't have anything else there to go on. And so he says, hey, look, what, whatever you want, whatever you want. Like, up, you could ask me right now. For half of my kingdom, and I'll say, hey, yeah, Esther, take it, take it. And so Esther is offered anything she wants, and let me kind of just give you the rundown of chapter 5 and 6 here, okay, so bear with me. Esther is offered anything that she wants. Stay with me, we'll stay on track here, I'm trying not to bore you. <clears throat> but she, she takes her time, okay, she takes her time, and she's thinking, and the, the king has just said, hey, you know what, Esther, whatever you want, you could ask for half of my kingdom, you can have it, and she's like, hmm. That sounds really good. Thank you for the compliments on my royal robe. <clears throat> Thank you for the offer. That sounds really awesome. You know what? You know what I would love? I would love, since I can have anything I want, how about I cook you dinner? So the king's like, are you sure about that? Yes, I would like to cook you and Haman dinner. Let's throw a party. 
And so he's like, okay, if that's what you want. So they have this dinner party, okay? They have this feast for, for um, Haman and for the king, and it's just this, this big deal. And they're at dinner numero uno, and everything is going well. She's looking beautiful once again. They're having their conversation. And so during this number one, this, this meal, King asks Esther, hey, so now you're going to tell me what you want? I mean, you can have half of, you know, you can have half of everything, anything you want. They're having the dinner. You know what, King? Thank you for the offer. And that sounds great. You know what I think I'd like? I've, I've given it some thought. How about I cook you dinner again? Does that sound good? And so King's like, okay, if that's what you want, throw me another party. I'll take it, whatever. So you got party number two on the way. But in the meantime, in the meantime, okay, you've got Haman who is getting a little big-headed, okay? He got invited. He was the only guy that got invited by Queen Esther to hang out with the king. So he goes home. He goes home to brag about it. Okay, he's pretty excited. He's thinking that he is like hot stuff. On his way home, he's thinking because he's so amazing, because he gets to hang out with the king, that the Jews should really bow down whenever he walks by. And so Mordecai, Esther's dad, queen's dad, hanging out out there, he walked, Haman, not good guy, the guy who came up with a plan to kill them all, including, including Mordecai, walks by Mordecai. He is expecting Mordecai to just bow down. Mordecai just kind of turns his nose up at him. He's not bowing down to him. And so, so Haman, he, he, is, he is hot, man. He is ticked. And so now he goes home, and, and he builds, he has built a, a, like, Mordecai impaling machine, basically. Okay? That's his idea. Build me something to impale Mordecai on because he offended me. Okay? So that's happening. His anger's burning at Mordecai more so than ever. And then King Xerxes has this night where he's just not, he, he needs an ambient. He cannot sleep. He's not sleeping all that well. And so since he can't sleep through the night, he does what you know, any normal person would do when you can't sleep well. He, he calls one of his people and says, hey, go get the book with all the cool stuff I've done and just read it to me while I lay here in my royal, my royal bed, okay? And so his person comes with the... The, the history book of all the cool things that Xerxes has done and just starts reading it and just, hey, you did this, you did this. And, and Xerxes is like, that's awesome. That is great. And I remember, oh, I remember that. I was, that was pretty great of me. And so they get to this one part where you've got, they, the, the guy reads this section and we talked about it in chapter two where Mordecai had actually foiled a plot to kill King Xerxes. And that sticks out to King Xerxes as he's sitting there in his royal bed, unable to sleep, having his people read what, all the cool things he's done. And so when it gets to that part, he's like, oh, stop there, stop there, Mordecai. I remember that. Did, did we do anything for Mordecai? Did we send him like a fruit basket, edible arrangement? Did we do, did we do anything nice for him? Because he really deserves something for saving my life. And so they're like, no, nope, we didn't do anything. Next day, Haman's there hanging out with King Xerxes. King Xerxes decides he's going to get Haman's opinion. You know what, Haman? If there was a guy that was just loyal to me and just awesome and just really, just really a good guy, like what should I do for him? How should I reward that? And Haman's thinking, oh, how kind of you. You're talking about me. So um, 
he starts just, you know, laying it on thick. Well, what you should do is give him this, give him that, give him some money, give him some food, give him a horse. That, that, I think that's what you should do. And so King Xerxes says, I think that is a great idea. Mordecai saved my life. And so all the stuff that you said, I would love, you need to go make sure that it happens for him. Everything, the horse included. Take him a horse, a ham, whatever, you know, just give it all to him. Give him whatever he wants. He deserves it. And so now Haman, oh my gosh, the guy just had this, you know, nifty impaling machine built for. Now I've got to give him a horse. And this is just a mess. And so now we're in chapter 7. You still with me? All right, good. Hopefully you're having trouble sleeping, much like King Xerxes, okay? <laughs> Chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. Listen close. It says, so the king and Haman, they go to Queen Esther's banquet, and they were drinking wine on the second day, because the party lasts several days. The king asked, uh, again asked Queen Esther, what is your petition? It'll be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. So then Queen es Esther answered, if, if I found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And would you spare my people? This is my request. For I and my people, we've been sold to be destroyed, to, kill, to be killed, and annihilated. And if we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, then I would have just kept quiet because no such distress should justify disturbing the king. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have bothered you. So then King Xerxes asks, where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing, the man who has dared to mess with my good-looking queen, Esther said, an adversary and an enemy. He's not the guy that you think he is. He is the vile Haman, the guy here at the dinner. And so Haman's sitting there just enjoying the little feeling. Uh, excuse me, what? what? Did someone, someone say my name? And so now the king, the king is upset. The king goes out to vent. The king goes out to vent. He's out in his garden, you know, just blowing off steam. He looks back. Haman is begging Esther for mercy, like, hey, you got to talk the king into not killing me. Please, 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 please. The king sees it. It doesn't look like he's begging. It looks like he's about to attack Esther. And so the king has him impaled on the impaling machine that he built for Mordecai. Lots of irony there, okay? So what we can pull from Haman here, just for a second, is that when, when you... I was going to say, like, when you build an impaling stick, you get impaled on it, but that didn't really flow. So what I ended up saying is, when you dig a pit, you fall into it, okay? Because that sounds better, okay? When you dig a pit, you fall into it. Man, Haman had gotten proud, dude. Haman <clears throat> got too big for his britches, okay? And he is thinking that he is great, that he deserves, <coughs> excuse me, all this stuff, and, and he, his head has just gotten too big. And so his pride, he, he is digging a hole, and he has no clue. All his scheming, all his maneuvering, all his political deals have, have messed him up and have dug him a pit. Now, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a nerd, I have a hard time reading nonfiction, and so what I end up reading all the time, and my wife makes fun of me, uh, are like presidential biographies, okay? I like to read presidential biographies. 
and yeah, so judge me, whatever. <laughs> but I've got some good ones if you're into it. I'll let you borrow them. I'll check them out. You can check them out. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that you notice when you start reading about these guys and the bubble that they get in and the lack of self-awareness that they have, Democrat and Republican or Go back farther, even, you know, the Whigs. They, they, all, they all struggle with this. They all, it, it's amazing. It, and especially one, one of the guys that I've, I've read about the most would be Richard Nixon. And if you read about him and if you go listen to the Nixon tapes, from the outside looking in, in the lead up to Watergate and him covering up all of this mess, all of these lies, when they, like you can see it coming. And you've got his advisors you, you hear them talking to him, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, they are about to fall in the pit. Why is no one stopping him? How does he not see that this is, this is going to come out? You can't hide this. And the, the truth always comes out, man. Your sin finds you out. Pride comes before the fall. We see that over and over in the scriptures. And so I, I've got to know and you've got to know that in those times where there is a tension, where I am, I am persuaded to, to go the world's way, there is the tension where I am feeling, I am talking myself into, or I am rationalizing whatever that thing is. You know, you know that it's, it's not good, that it's not righteous, that it's not of God. Whatever that relationship is, whatever that decision is, whatever that purchase is, whatever that website is, whatever that whatever that whatever is. That as I dig a pit and I become prideful and prideful leads to this lack of self-awareness because when you get to, when, when you become arrogant, you just have no clue that you're arrogant. And, and the other thing about that pride and arrogance is that you, you, you're so insecure that you get mad if anybody calls you out on anything. And so no one in your life has permission to tell you anything because you get your little feelings hurt. And so you just, you just end up being enabled to dig this pit and you will fall in. So, looking back at Esther, we, we, we see Haman's pride and, and now Esther has been bold, she has been brave, she has gone to the king she didn't get her head chopped off. Things are good. The king gives her permission to, to go out and fix the problem and make sure that the Jews are not annihilated, okay? And so she's got this power now, and we end up, and what we end up with, and you can write this down if you're taking note, is, is that we end up with an account that reveals the imperfect circumstances and people that God uses, often from out of the shadows, that God uses over and over imperfect people in, in, in imperfect circumstances. And so for those of us who have imperfect circumstances, we have stuff going on that's just not good. And we don't feel like we're set up to really serve God, or we don't feel like we're set up to really do anything for Him. And we just kind of feel like we're just kind of living our life, and we, we go to work, we do whatever we need to do, and, and, and we're surviving I need to know that God uses imperfect circumstances and he uses imperfect people like myself. Like I'm, I'm extremely imperfect. I got, I, got, I got lots of issues, man. But God uses that. And that's good. Man. That is the message of hope and of grace. That's the message of, 
of grace that God can use us. And I, you know, I would like to think that I'm like Daniel who you know, stands up to a king and, and gets thrown into a lion's den. And I'm just going to, whatever God says, I'm going to do it. But I end up most of the time, and maybe you can identify with this. But I think we end up a, a, a lot like Esther more often. And that it takes, there's some tension, there's some wrestling, and, and, and there's some praying and some decision making. And, um, and, and there's some messes. But um, I'm an imperfect vessel that ends up just kind of stumbling into being used by God in spite of myself. And so we see Esther taking a risk. And I can know that it is, it is right to take risks for God. It is right for me to take risks for God because when I trust in him, there is reward. There's reward in trusting him. Not that I'm going to get rich, not that you know, all my zits are going to clear up or I'm going to grow hair or anything like that. But there, there is goodness. There is reward. There's reward in the relationship. But obedience and trusting in him brings reward. You, Esther saved her people. I don't know how it's going to play out in all of our lives, and it's going to be different. But we see the, the Jews, man, they, they, were, they weren't annihilated. They were rescued. They were saved. And it was good. And in fact, a lot of people ended up, they were so afraid of the Jews, they ended up deciding like, hey, I think I'll become a Jew. Uh, I don't want to, you know, the, the Jews seem to be powerful. I, I don't want to not be powerful. So, hey, sign me up. I'll be a Jew now. What do I got to do? Um, and so they, they jump on board. Esther saves the nation. And, and the reward for the obedience was even better than she expected. And so I can know, and let's finish with this, I can know that God is looking for imperfect, obedient people. And um, it is always going to be profitable to be obedient, whether it's in my integrity at home, my integrity in my relationships, my integrity at, at work, whether it is the way that I give my money, the way that I spend my money, the way that I spend my time, the way that I raise my kids, whatever it is, it is always profitable. It is always right to take risks and to be obedient. But in order to be obedient, I've got to know what God wants, and I've got to get close to him, and I've got to spend time to him. And so I may not have all the answers, but I, I know a God who does. And so my prayer is that I would draw closer to him and that you and that we would do the same. And we would trust him and follow him completely. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we, we want to know you better. There's no way that we can be obedient, do what you want, unless we know you. I pray for myself and I pray for my friends in here that you would remind us constantly that you use imperfect people like us that you've got things that you want to do with imperfect people. We're not disqualified. We're not out of second chances. But there's people that you want to reach through us. There's things that you want to do. There's people that you want to rescue. There's lives that you want to change. There's things that you want to accomplish in Walton County through us. And I pray that we would surrender. We would be available. We would commit to you. And we would follow you wholeheartedly. And even when it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to everybody else. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.